Good morning, Village Bible Church. It's wonderful to have you here to worship the Lord together. My name is Cisco Cotto. I'm part of the preaching team here. I want to say a special hello to anyone who might be visiting with us. We are so glad that you are here this morning. Let's begin with prayer, and then we will dig into God's Word together. Our Father in heaven, we love your Word, the Bible. We know that it is your message to each and every one of us, and we thank you for providing it. We pray that you would shape us through your word, that, that we'd be changed, and that by the time we leave here, we would be a little more like Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together here in freedom, trusting that you will receive our worship and be glorified by it. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray, amen. It was Thanksgiving 2009, and Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, was getting ready to enjoy Thanksgiving like he always did. He woke up and he was looking forward to hanging out with his family and eating some really good food. But something happened that Thanksgiving that would forever change his life. At some point during the day, he collapsed onto the floor at his home, began having a major seizure. His family had to call 911. An ambulance came, took him to the nearest hospital. Many tests later, they discovered that he had a cancerous tumor in his brain. The doctors did surgery, many hours of surgery. And they told Matt Chandler that they were able to get a big chunk of the tumor, most of the tumor, but they couldn't get it all. Some of it was still there. They said if they had gone any deeper, it might have killed him or it might have really impacted some of his body and brain functions. And so they had to stop. Matt Chandler, out of nowhere, finds out he has cancer finds out that the operation did not get it all, and so there is cancer continuing in his brain, slowly but surely growing. It seemed at the time for sure as though this was a hopeless situation, as though this was a death sentence. Now, Matt Chandler went through all of the normal human emotions that you or I would go through, and many of us with friends or family members, have gone through this. There would have been confusion. There might have been anger. There might have been frustration, sadness, fear and anxiety. What am I going to do? What is my wife going to do? What are our children going to do? That full rush of emotions that are a part of who we are as human beings. But there's something else that Matt Chandler did in response to this cancer diagnosis. It was absolutely amazing. Matt Chandler expressed joy in Christ. He expressed a dedication to Christ. No matter what happened to him, good or bad, life or death, he was giving it all to the Lord. He went on TV and did an interview and in this interview, he quoted an Old Testament story from the book of Daniel where three of Daniel's friends, three followers of God, were told either worship the emperor or go into a fiery furnace. And they chose the Lord 
even if it would cost them their lives. Here is how Matt Chandler described it in a television interview. It, it's so much more than a child story. I, I hate that we've made those great Old Testament narratives children's stories, but the Adrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they say he can, he will, and even if he doesn't. And, and so that's, that's where I'm standing. He can heal me. I believe he will heal me. I believe I'm going to be an old, surly Baptist preacher. Um, <laughs> he can heal me. He will heal me. But even if he doesn't, Matt Chandler, at that time, 10 years ago, expressing his commitment to Christ, whatever God chooses to do, he goes on in that interview to talk about the joy that he was experiencing. How can he experience joy and contentment in the midst of a brain cancer diagnosis? How can he do that? As I mentioned, several of us have gone through this, whether it is cancer or something else that seems hopeless. We're presented with a situation and we can't see a way out of it. Maybe death is the end. Maybe major financial problems are the end. We might lose a car or a house. Maybe a broken relationship is the end, whether it's a marriage or a relationship with parents or children. And we can't see a way out of it. We don't know what to do. We experience all of those emotions just like Matt Chandler, just like I said, that are very human the sadness, the confusion, the anger, the, the frustration, the fear, all of that comes to us, but do we rejoice? Do we experience joy in the midst of that hardship? How do you do that? My father had pancreatic cancer. He died from pancreatic cancer. I'm just being honest. There was very little joy in the midst of that situation. A lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of grief, a lot of sadness, but not a lot of joy. How do you do this? The Apostle Paul, as Pastor Tim has been telling us over the last several weeks, was in prison when he wrote the letter to the Christians at Philippi, the letter we know as Philippians. Paul was in prison, and it was a brutal prison situation. It was dirty cold. He was literally shackled to a prison guard 24-7. Doesn't matter what he was doing, that guard was right there, eating, sleeping, cleaning up, bathroom, talking to people. Literally, whatever Paul did, someone was right there. No privacy at all whatsoever. Paul was afraid that death was going to be the result of this imprisonment. He certainly hoped that he would be able to get out of the situation. He looked forward to the possibility that he could even see these Philippian Christians again. But Paul knew that this situation could very well take his life. Now, the Bible doesn't say that Paul didn't experience all of those very human emotions. I think it's pretty safe to say he did. Again, the sadness, the anger, the, the frustration. I could imagine Paul sitting there trying to figure out a way out of this. What am I going to say to the judge? How am I going to argue my case? But Paul experienced something else that is extraordinary. He experienced joy. 
how does Paul do that? How can he say in Philippians that in the midst of this circumstance where he's in prison and may die, and not only that, some of his former followers are now outside of the prison preaching the gospel, trying to draw big crowds just so they can show Paul up. I mean, not only is his life at stake, but some of his former friends are out there trying to say, look, we're better preachers than Paul. Look at us. Look at the crowds we can draw. And Paul is dealing with all of that, feeling the weight of all of that, and yet he says, I will rejoice. Now, is Paul, is Matt Chandler, I mean, are these two, these superhero Christians where we could never hope to have what they have. There's something about their faith. There's something about their walk with Christ that you and I can never have. We could never find joy in those hopeless situations. I mean, are they these superheroes? Or can we have what they have? Can our walk with Christ be the sort of walk in which no matter what's going on, no matter what life throws at us, no matter how hopeless it seems, we can have joy. Here's the secret. I'm just going to tell you right up front what the secret is because our whole message this morning as we get back into the book of Philippians is really centered around this. The secret to being able to find joy in any situation, to being able to rejoice no matter what life sends you, is being fully, totally, 100% dedicated to Jesus Christ. The secret to being able to find joy, no matter what circumstances you're in, whether there's hope, a little hope, or no hope, the secret is being so connected to Jesus, loving him so deeply, understanding who he is and what he has done and, and what he continues to do each and every day, Understanding that and feeling that and experiencing that in such a way that no matter what goes on, everything in your life is dedicated to him. Whether you live, whether you die. Whether you get the things you want or they never arrive. Whether you are satisfied in relationships or it is a big time problem. Whether you know where the next meal is coming from or there are no paychecks on the way. We can have joy by having relationships with Jesus Christ that lead us to be so dedicated to him that we say with everything inside of us, whatever you want, King Jesus, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to obey you, whatever you say goes. Everything about my life is going to be seen through the Jesus lens. Does he want me to do it? I'll do it. Does he want me to avoid it? I'm going to avoid it. Is he steering me in this direction? That's where I'm going to go. Everything, day and night, every waking moment is about Christ. That's what's going on with Paul. That's what's going on with Matt Chandler. That is not just the stuff of Christian superheroes. That's something that every single one of us can have. And we'll talk about how to get that a little bit later on. But let's understand that the result of this is joy. We get joy from other people and we can give joy to others. We receive joy as we are dedicated to Christ and 
We can shower joy on other people. We can be a part of them rejoicing no matter what the circumstances are. Turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 18. Philippians 1.18. Again, Paul is experiencing persecution in prison. Paul may lose his life. Paul has friends on the outside who are just trying to get under his skin. I'm trying to imagine this, people who are going to preach the gospel just so they can annoy Paul while he's in prison. That's horrible. And this is what Paul is dealing with. Now, in the midst of that, I think I know what I would do. I would say, oh, I can't wait to get out of here so I can get those guys. I might be praying, Lord, do whatever you need to do to stop them. Might be angry in the prison cell. Let me out of here. I haven't done anything wrong. That's probably what I would be doing. Paul, again, may have had those experiences, but he expresses Joy, he says this in fact, emphatically with passion and energy in verse 18. I will rejoice. Paul is not being dragged into this. Paul is not saying, oh, well, all right, I guess in every circumstance I'm going to have joy because, you know, God is God. No, he's saying with power and passion, he means this, I will rejoice no matter what the circumstance, no matter what goes on in my life. I will experience joy. Paul experiences this joy because of his dedication to Christ, because of his passion for him and his love for him. And this joy comes in a couple of forms. First off, it comes To Paul, he receives joy, and the first way he receives it is the prayer of other Christians. Christians praying for Paul in his imprisonment, in his hopeless situation, brings him joy. Let's read a portion of this. Paul says in verse 18, I will rejoice. Why is he going to rejoice? For I know that through your prayers... And the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The first way that Paul receives joy is through the prayers of other Christians. There are times in Paul's letters when he specifically asks for prayer, where he tells these sisters and brothers, hey, I I need you here. Will you pray for me? In this case, he already knows that these Philippian Christians are praying for him. He's assuming this. He's just saying, I know that these people are praying for me. And he knows that God hears their prayers, and God answers their prayers, and he works through their prayers. Paul is not approaching prayer with these Philippian Christians as if to say, well, we got no other option, so why don't you pray and maybe that'll do something. Like it's some sort of a good luck charm. Paul knows that they are praying. He knows that God answers prayer and uses prayer. And so he is able to rejoice. I find it fascinating that these people are praying for him even though he is many, many, many miles away from them. 
He's not just praying for them on Sunday morning when they're gathered together to worship. He's not just praying for them in a small group, right, like we do when we're together. They're not just praying for him in that situation. They don't know if they are ever going to see Paul again, and they are praying. They are not with him in person, and they are praying. Some of these Philippian Christians don't even know who Paul is. They've never experienced Paul. They've never met Paul. The last time Paul was there, they weren't Christians, and now they've become Christians. And yet, because of what people have told them about Paul and his work, they are praying for him. We can bring joy to other people who are dedicated to Jesus Christ by our prayers. Not just the prayers of people here in this room, Again, not just the prayers of people in our small group, not just the prayers of people in our family, not not just praying for all of them. We can bring joy to other people by praying for them, even people many miles away, people we've never met, people we will never meet. I love that here at Village Bible Church, we are dedicated to our missionaries, and we are dedicated to supporting people in a variety of ways who are serving God all around the world. And we, if you step out of this room here on your way out, you turn to the right, there is a whole wall filled with these little cards. They're all our missionaries that we are supporting here at Village Bible Church. Now, one of the things that you can do is you can take one of these cards, then you can start praying for one of the missionaries. Uh, this is Sean and Laura Boyd, some people I know from Moody. I love them, and I know they've had ups and downs in their ministry in Cyprus, and it's, it's been tough at times. What you can do is you can take one of these cards, you can pray for a missionary, and there's contact information on here. You can send them a little note and say, I'm from Village Bible Church in Sugar Grove, Illinois. You don't know me, but I grabbed your card off of our missions wall today, and I prayed for you, and I'm going to keep praying for you. We may never meet, we may never see each other face to face at all, but I'm praying for you and know that there are other people praying for you and know that God is hearing our prayers and he's using these prayers and and he's at work in you and through you in your ministry. And just like these Philippian Christians supported Paul and encouraged Paul and brought him great joy, we can do the exact same thing and it's just that simple. Pray and let someone know you're praying. There are other ways to pray for people that you will never meet in a way like the Philippian Christians. There is a book that we have used in my family. It is called Window on the World. Uh, It is a great resource put out by Operation World. It's designed for kids, but anyone can use it. In Window on the World, they give these uh, little thumbnail sketches of different areas of the world where people need Christ. Many of these areas do not have any sort of missions activity at all going on. They tell you about this place in the world. They tell you about the people who are there, and they give you some prayer points for how to pray for them. Now, you've done this several times, and I'm just going to be honest with you. The first few times you pray for people you don't know in a place that, that often, I'm sorry, you, you can't pronounce... The first time you do that, it's just, it's a little weird. And you feel kind of detached from it. You know, oh God, help the people of this region. And, you know, it's just difficult. But the more you do it, the more you get a sense of God's heart for these people. Every person on the planet is an image bearer of God. 
Now we rest on the fact that God hears our prayers and answers our prayers and uses our prayers. And who cares if we're never going to meet these people? They need Jesus Christ. And so we can be a part of what God is doing in the world, bringing his message to people, bringing his joy to people, just by praying. That's what Paul knows he can count on from these Philippian Christians. He can count on their dedicated prayers. And even as people are trying to get under his skin and really being mean to him, even during imprisonment, even during possible death, Paul rejoices because he knows these folks are praying for him. There's another reason that Paul can rejoice, though. He can rejoice. He's receiving this joy because he is confident that he has the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with Paul. This is one of the most beautiful things about being a follower of Jesus Christ. When we trust Christ as our Savior... The Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to live inside of each and every one of us. So we are never alone again. We are never on our own again. When Paul was in that prison cell, yes, he was shackled to a guard, so he was never alone. But he was also never alone because Almighty God, the Holy Spirit, was there each and every moment. And we know what the Holy Spirit does for the Christian. The Holy Spirit offers counsel as we're praying and talking with God. The Holy Spirit guides us, gives us wisdom. The Holy Spirit encourages us. The Holy Spirit reminds us of who God is and what he's done. And and Paul knew Not only do I have these sisters and brothers praying for me, but I have God himself here with me. How can they not rejoice if I have that? Sisters and brothers and the Lord all working for me in the midst of this situation, even though it seems hopeless, even though I may die, even though if I don't die, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I have my fellow Christians and my God on my side working for me, I can rejoice. And then Paul knows that these prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit are going to help him to be courageous and bold as he tells people about Jesus. He's not going to be ashamed of his relationship with Christ. He's not going to fail to tell people about it. Paul says in this passage that he has the hope that he is not at all going to be ashamed. That he is going to declare the message of Jesus with courage. He's going to have boldness. He says it in verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Either way, I know I'm going to honor Christ because I am going to courageously and boldly take a stand for him. Now, Paul doesn't get that on his own. Again, no superheroes here. 
We don't look to Paul who says, I know that I'm going to be bold. I know that I'm going to be courageous. I know that I'm not going to be ashamed. I have that hope. We don't look to him and say, all right, Paul, I'm going to work really hard in order to be like you so that I can be that way too. How does Paul get the courage and the boldness? How does he push the shame away? Because of his dedication to Christ that is based on his connection to Jesus Christ. It is the prayers of the people and the power of the Holy Spirit that are giving this to Paul. It's not that in any way Paul is just somehow able to do this on his own. And I hope that is a big-time encouragement, especially to people who really have genuine fears of being a Christian in the public world where there might be a sacrifice. Here at Village Bible Church, sure, we expect that people are Christians. Uh, some of you are still exploring Jesus, and, and you still have questions about him, but, but most of the people who come here are followers of Jesus Christ. There's that expectation. This is a welcoming place. But some of you, for example, young people who are in school, you know who Jesus is, you know what he's done for you, but... You also know that there may be a sacrifice, a penalty to be paid if in the hallway or in the classroom or in the locker room or on the sports team or as part of a musical group or whatever it is that you do. If you start talking about Jesus, if you start talking about what he's done for you, there's a legitimate fear that people may mock you, that groups of friends may stop hanging out with you. You don't know what's going to happen. And so the way to counteract that, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be cute as though it's, it's, you know, just do this and everything will be better. I mean, I mean, those fears are genuine and you're still going to wrestle with them. But the way to experience this sort of joy that gives you a boldness and courage is to get some people praying for you. And remember, the Holy Spirit is with you no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing in that hallway, in that classroom, on that volleyball court, no matter where you are. The Holy Spirit is there and the prayers of his people are at work. And that's how we get past the shame and we boldly tell people the best news ever, the message of Jesus. See, we would be greatly discouraged if Paul somehow had this all figured out in a way that we don't. You know, if, if we look to Paul as as this guy who was doing things that we couldn't do. But Paul was very human, and Paul experienced exactly what we experienced. There are times when the Apostle Paul, the person who's written big chunk of our New Testament, this Paul asked sisters and brothers to pray that he would boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and would not back down. I find that fascinating. Paul? Paul! Paul is saying, hey, please pray for me that I will boldly proclaim Christ, that I, I won't back down from this. And you, you go, but uh, obviously you forgot, you're Paul. But he's just like you and me. He is a human who loves Christ but deals with all of those same fears, uh, those challenges. Am I going to be ashamed of Christ or am I going to boldly proclaim him? And the way that Paul is able to experience joy in the midst of all of that, is to have a group of people praying for him, to remember that the Holy Spirit is working for him, and to know that that, that's going to lead 
to the courage and the boldness. That's where his shame will be laid aside. That, that's how he gets the power for doing this. It's, it's not just by being a little stronger, you know, doing this on his own somehow. It's not because he's uniquely gifted by God to do this. No, Paul knows. If I got people praying for me and the Holy Spirit is working in me, I, I, can, I can do whatever God wants me to do. And that brings him joy. As Paul is explaining this to the Philippian Christians, he then moves to a verse that is well-known. Many of you have probably heard this verse before. Some of you probably haven't, but many of you have. It's a verse that a lot of people use as a life verse. It gives them encouragement. It is Paul beginning to pivot in his message away from what he gets from people, what he gets from the Lord, that reason why he experiences joy, he is beginning now to pivot to how he can bring joy to other people. Other people who follow Jesus, how can Paul be that blessing to them? And he says this, really powerful verse, it shows his dedication to Jesus Christ, that that's what's driving him. Paul says in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Here is what Paul is trying to get across. Every single day, I am involved in some sort of work for Jesus Christ. It is beautiful, it is beneficial, it is a blessing. But if I die, I am with Christ face to face. What Paul is saying is, Either way, I win. I am dedicated to him today. I am dedicated to him forever. And everything that I do, this is what Paul is saying, everything that I do is seen through the Jesus prism. How does this honor him? How does this serve him? How do I know that I'm doing what he wants me to do? Because that's what's driving me. That's what's driving Paul. That's what should drive us. Total, 100% dedication to Jesus Christ. Does Jesus say it? Then we do it. Does he say don't do it? Then we don't do it. Do we stay connected to him in prayer and scripture and encouraging each other? That, that way that we grow together, is, is that what we do? Because when we do, we're showing we are dedicated to Jesus Christ. And like Paul, we can say, live, die. Either way, it's all about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe some of you are in this boat. I know I am. There have been periods in my life where I have reversed this verse. It's actually happened way more often than I would like to admit. When instead of saying, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain... I, am, I instead have said, for to me, to live is gain, and to die is Christ. You understand the flip there? What I have done at periods in my life is, I have treated my time on earth as though it was all about me. What can I get? What fun can I have? What pleasure can I indulge? Uh, what relationships can I build? What money can I earn and build? 
What does a house look like? What does a marriage look like? All the way to video games and videos and fun times and restaurants. It's, it's all about me because there are times when I live my life as though for me to live is gain. In the here and now, it's all about me getting whatever I can. And then ultimately, someday it's about Jesus. Someday I'll be in heaven and I'll be with Jesus. And the Bible tells us each of us will be face to face with Jesus someday in the flesh, just like you're seeing other people here today. I at times have lived my life as though this is the game, this is the fun, this is sort of the playtime. Get as much as you can because someday it's, you know, it's just Christ. And what Paul does and what we're encouraged to do and what God enables us to do, like he enabled Paul to do, is to say, no, no, no. It's not do whatever you want now, just have as much fun as you can because someday you'll be with Jesus. No, no, you're with him right now. You're connected to him right now. You're in relationship with him right now. And, And the more you reflect on who he is and what he's done, the more... You love him, the more you understand his love for you, the more you step back and go, no, no, whether it's today or tomorrow, whether I live or I die, either way, it is all about Christ. And I don't want to be focused on anything else as my supreme love. I don't want to follow anyone else. I I don't want to consider anyone else's interests above Jesus's. I mean, we care about each other. Yes, absolutely. But Christ is supreme. Everything he's done, everything he is should make us dedicate ourselves to him. And when we do this, we can start bringing joy to other people in their hopeless situations. We can now be a blessing to them. Uh, Paul shows us that, yes, we get joy in a variety of ways. We are blessed by others in a variety of ways, but we can also begin blessing them and bringing them joy. Paul pivots here, and I I think what he's doing, I I don't know, but I I think what he's doing is now, Paul is likely dictating this to an assistant. Okay, he's not writing the letter himself. He's dictating it to an assistant. And I think this early part of the letter, Paul is sort of talking more directly to the assistant and, and, and telling him what, you know, say this and say that and say this. And, and, and I think as he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he, he, he pivots a little. And now he starts reflecting on what he's wrestling with in light of his dedication to Jesus, in light of how much he loves Jesus. Because now Paul has said, that's right, whether I live or die, no matter what, it's all about Christ. And Paul, he seems to get reflective here, and he starts telling the Philippians about what he's really wrestling with. This is what he says in verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul is is wrestling between two good things. I want to see Jesus face to face, but I want to serve him and his people every day that I possibly can. That's another thing that Matt Chandler said in that interview. He quoted Philippians 1 and, and said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Every day I'm on this earth, I'm going to serve Christ. And then I'm going to be with him face to face. The first way that Paul brings joy to others is by his willingness to obey Christ. His willingness to obey Christ. You see that if Paul had it his way, he would go to heaven right now. If it was up to Paul, he'd snap his fingers and he would be in the presence of Christ. But he's going to obey because he knows that as long as he's on this earth, as long as he goes to bed and wakes up again, as long as he's breathing, Jesus has work for him to do. He wants Paul to do something. And so Paul is going to obey. Lord, I'd love to come and be with you face to face. You could do that at any moment, but until you choose to do so, I am going to be obedient and I'm going to do the work that you have called me to do. And so Paul sees that work as being a blessing to others, bringing them joy by serving them in a variety of ways. This idea of bringing joy to others by obeying Christ is not just for ministry leaders. Okay, it's not just for pastors and elders. And let's be honest, some of you were kind of hoping it was, didn't you? (laughs) Now we're all in this. Jesus invites all of us into this kind of relationship with him where we love him and he is using us and we are a part of his work in the world. He has work for all of us to do in our families, where we work, where we volunteer, where we're at school, in our neighborhoods. He has work for us to do, being a blessing to others, serving them and and literally saying, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to share you with this person? How do you best want me to get your message across? How do you want me to serve these people? How do you want me to be like you? Empower me to do that. Give me what I need to do that. But but let me be more like Jesus. And so we obey, even when it's hard, even when we don't want to do it, even when we read something here and go, no, 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 I don't want that. The person dedicated to Christ obeys and through that can bring joy to others. Paul sees that as his great opportunity here. He can bring joy to other people through his dedication to Christ by saying, I'm going to do whatever Jesus Christ has called me to do. And you and I can do this too. Part of the way that Paul does this is by helping people to move forward in their faith, to progress in their faith. All too often, we see our walk with Jesus Christ as nothing more than I become born again, I place my faith in Jesus, now I'm forgiven of my sins, and I begin going to church, maybe I read the Bible, maybe I pray, maybe I go to a small group, and then I'm just sort of waiting for heaven. I'm just kind of hanging out. You know, now I have gotten 
my get out of hell free card. Right, I got, got out of that mess. And so now I sort of do the Christian things because that's what I'm supposed to do. But what I'm really doing is just kind of waiting for heaven. And what Paul is helping these Philippian Christians to understand and helping us to understand is we are all called to progress in our faith. We are called to grow. And it's sometimes, oftentimes, a messy, difficult process. Pastor Tim has told us that the Greek word in the New Testament, this letter of Paul was originally written in Greek, that Greek word doesn't mean progress just like you're going to progress by taking one foot in front of another. It means to progress through difficulty. Think ancient troops who would take machetes through a field in order to get rid of all of the vegetation in order to allow the rest of the troops to follow them. They're not moving forward easily or simply. This is hard work. This is challenging. And our walks with Christ are challenging. But Paul sees that it is his job to be an encouragement to each and every one of these Christians, everyone he comes across, to move them forward little by little, helping them in their walk with Christ. This happens, I think, this is why we're so big on small groups here at Village Bible Church. I think this happens so well in small groups. There's 10 or 12 or so people meeting regularly, studying the Bible, praying for each other, praying for their communities, praying for missionaries, praying for people in other countries, encouraging one another, giving godly advice to one another. I mean, there's times that all you need in the midst of a hopeless situation is another Christian who goes, I hear you, I'm praying for you, and God is at work in this situation. I mean, isn't that sometimes just all you need? You know, that person isn't going to give you the sense of hope like everything's going to be taken care of, but but you go, I'm not in this alone. My sisters and brothers are with me, and, and through their help, I can move forward in my walk with Christ, little by little by little. We have an opportunity, sisters and brothers, to help each other like Paul did, to help each other grow, to help each other move forward. None of us is to stand firm. And by that I mean not moving, not growing. We're all to be making progress in our walk with Christ, and we can help each other to do it. And that, I don't know about you, that brings me some joy when I know that I have other people who are on this journey with me. Paul works for the progress of these Philippian Christians. We work for each other's progress. And finally, as we go through this whole last passage, we're seeing Paul wrestling with his desire to be with Christ. We're seeing Paul wrestling with his desire to serve others. And that's something that I think we can say about Paul. Because he is dedicated to Jesus Christ, he is devoted to others. His is not a self-centered life. He is not always saying, me, 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 what do I get out of this situation? He's not deciding, okay, I'll help you out, but then you owe me later on. You got to pay me back. Paul, because of his dedication to Christ, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in him, again, remember, he's not some superhero. 
because of that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul was able to change his point of view so he was constantly thinking about other people, how he can help them, how he can bless them, encourage them, guide them, advise them. He stopped thinking about himself because he knew Jesus and he knew that all of these people are God's image bearers, desperately loved by Jesus, loved so much that God the Father would send God the Son to die for us. That's a lot of love. And so because of that, Paul was able to turn things so that he said, every day that I'm on this earth, you know, Lord, take me. Okay, not today. All right, fine. Every day that I'm here. I'm all about serving people. I'm all about helping people. I'm all about bringing the light of Christ into their life and, and, and being this blessing to them. And he brought them great joy. Uh, we need help with this, just like Paul did. We need help with this. We need help in staying focused on others. Because when we're in those hopeless situations, the health, the financial, the relationships, the, the, the brokenness, the pain, when we're in that, it is really tough not to just think about our own situation. It is really tough not to say, hear me on this because I've done this at times in my life, not to say, Lord, I want you to take me now, but not because I really, really want to be with you. I just don't want to be in this mess anymore. And so we say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And we go, yeah, the gain is I don't have to deal with the hopeless situation anymore. Please take me. And what God wants is a relationship with us that is so beautiful, so powerful, so strong that we don't want to be with him in heaven just to escape. But we say this, God is so good so loving, so gracious. I want to see Jesus face to face. And this is why I think, sisters and brothers, how we, how we get this, you know, it, it's not as simple as just saying, read your Bible more and you'll be more dedicated to Christ and, and you'll have a better relationship with Christ. I mean, yes, we read our Bible and God speaks to us through our Bible and feeds us. And, and, and yes, that's, that's very, very good. We need to do that. And it's not just as simple as saying, uh, well, you need to pray more. If, if you want to be dedicated to the Lord, pray more. Uh, yeah, we, we do. We need to pray more, Right? But so often, those things, you know, the Bible reading and study and memorization and the prayer and, and praying for others and praying for ourselves and, and coming to church on Sunday and being in a small group and, and hanging out with Christian friends, so often, those just become routines. You know, it's sort of the checklist stuff. I am a Christian, so I am supposed to do these things. And I think one of the ways that that changes, while also helping us to really love Christ, to be totally dedicated to him. I think one of the ways to do it is we just have to force ourselves at times to pause and to reflect on 
who God is and what he has done. We have to be intentional about this because it does not come naturally to us. We have to intentionally reflect on the fact that Almighty God created us. He created us in His image. He created us uniquely, each and every one of us. He did that knowing that we were going to be rebels. It's not like sin was a surprise to God. It's not like he made people and then a very short time later, he went, whoa, 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 what are they doing? This is all out of control. That's not how it happened. He knew what we were going to do and he made us anyway. And then God the Father sent God the Son to die in our place so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have the promise of eternity with him right now and all throughout eternity so so that God no longer looks at us as sinners. He looks at us as daughters and sons, friends. He, the Bible says, adopts us into his family. We're We're part of God's family now. He does all of that as a free gift, all of that from his grace. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. There is no way we could do any of that. And I think the more we just reflect on that and let it sit in, and I think the more we will be so in love with Jesus and so grateful for what God has done that I think that's where the dedication comes from. I think that's where we say, whether in life or death, no matter what gets thrown at us, we are all about King Jesus. There was a man named uh, Bill Bright. Uh, Bill Bright started an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. It's now called Crew. They started on college campuses, and now they're all over the world doing just amazing work sharing the gospel with people. And in the book, Blue Like Jazz, uh, there's a description of an interview that Bill Bright had, and this man was asking Bill Bright all kinds of questions. And at one point, he asked Bill Bright, sort of off the cuff, hey, you know, so what does Jesus mean to you? You know, you've been doing this a long time. You've been a Christian a long time. What, What does Jesus mean to you? And he said, Bill Bright sat across the desk, looked out, got really quiet, and just started to cry. He didn't cry cry all the time. This was normal for him. But his dedication to Christ, stemming from his love of Christ, based on what Christ has done for him, led him to tears. He couldn't even explain it. That's the relationship I want with Jesus. I don't always have it. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. That's the relationship 
I want with Jesus. I want someone to say, what does Jesus mean for you? And what does he mean to you? What, what, what does he mean in your life? And I, I just can't even speak because I'm so overwhelmed by who he is and what he's done. And, and that I didn't deserve any of it. I deserved something quite opposite of it. That's the relationship that God invites us to. That, that's, what, that's what he wants us to have. Again, Bill Bright is no super Christian, just like Paul and Matt Chandler. God has just been at work in them over a period of years, showing them who he is and what he's done. And they are overwhelmed by it, and so they can experience joy no matter what the circumstance. Now, Ten years ago is when Matt Chandler got this diagnosis. Uh, Thanksgiving of 2009, and uh, it was still there, remember the cancer, it didn't completely go away, but now here we are 10 years later and Matt Chandler is still alive, he is healthy, he is serving the Lord along with his family, the doctors at Baylor University Medical Center say, you know, we, we may be wrong here, Matt, but it looks like the cancer's gone, like, this doesn't happen. Now, I don't say that to say, you know, well, if you just pray enough or if you're just positive enough or, or if you talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace, that God's going to heal you. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. That's not why I bring it up. It's because he's someone who has truly learned, okay, if I need to go be with the Lord right now, amen. And if not, if you heal me or if you hold off this cancer and keep it away for a while... I'm just going to be dedicated to you each and every day of my life doing whatever it is that you have called me to do. And God, for his purposes, has given Matt Chandler at least another 10 years of life on this earth. 10 more years of dedication, 10 more years of joy, 10 more years of serving others because of Jesus. And my hope and prayer for each and every one of us is that we would see things the exact same way. In fact, let's bow our heads in, and I'll pray for us right now. Because this does not come by hard work. It doesn't come through doing the Christian things. It comes as a gift of God. And it is spurred by spending time with him and allowing him to do his work. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would help each of us to reflect on who you are and what you have done, because you've done so much for us. None of us earned it. None of us deserve it. None of us can say we got what we deserved. Actually, you, Lord Jesus, got what we deserved. And we are so grateful Help us, God, to live each and every day completely dedicated to you, saying wholeheartedly and really meaning it that whatever comes our way, it's all about Christ. Life or death, rich or poor, healthy or not, it's all about Christ. Help us, Lord. We need you to help us to love you that much. And it's in that precious saving, lovely name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.